Welcome in, Gator fans, to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your hosts, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. Presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by Graham Hall. Graham, what's up? Good to be here, Zach, my man. Always with you. Time to drop some knowledge, some hot takes. A lot has happened in the last week when we were going over it. I, we were like, man, when was the last time we recorded yeah, we a podcast? We missed this. We didn't talk about this. Exactly. We have, you know, we're like, oh, football season's over. It's we're gonna run out of things to talk about. Nope. Not in Gator Nation. Not today, son. There's never a dull moment, as you guys know. And there's a lot of news that we're going to get to today. We're going to be joined by Keith Niebuhr from 24-7 Sports. Nailed that name. To get some perspective on that news as the Gators add one of the assistant coaches from Auburn's staff and a player from Auburn's roster. We'll also talk about the mid-year enrollees that have joined the Florida football program and will be participating in spring practice. But first, got to get to the coaching news and the player news. Uh, first of all, Graham, the Gators have added one of what we expect to be two secondary coaches. The first hire is Wesley McGriff, a.k.a. and better known as Crime Dog. I love that name. People are talking about finding a new one for him. Absolutely not. Uh-uh. No chance. I love it. And as Keith, I'm sure, will tell us why later here, that is just a name that it's well-known. It, it has a pop culture reference in it as well. And when you've coached at now five SEC programs, you want that one-word name that is kind of uniquely known around the country. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what he's going to bring is a recruiting reputation, but also a coaching track record that's very impressive. Uh, and we'll get uh, some of Keith's perspective on that. But you look at the stops that he's made in the SEC and then at the University of Miami and with the New Orleans Saints and then the players that he's coached along the way, some of the guys that he's developed. Uh, this is a, a piece and, and a guy that brings the type of experience I think that this defensive staff could benefit from. And certainly on the back end where the Gators ranked uh, you know, 100th nationally in pass defense and they had a, a lot of issues there and, and a lot of young pieces as well. Uh, you bring a guy that, that has the experience that he does, has been a defensive coordinator and, and I think can really try to improve that unit, especially on the back end. Yeah, not to take anything away from Florida's departing secondary coaches and Ron English and Torian Gray. Both of those guys had a lot of knowledge and and X's and O's. And their pedigree for landing top prospects and for developing guys is up there with some of the best that we've seen come through the doors here in Gainesville. But when you look at Wesley McGriff, what he's done recently from a development standpoint, and you mentioned those ties to not only the NFL, which are so critical here in Gainesville for prospects, talking about DBU, getting guys to the league every single year, and then you mentioned the ties to South Florida. I think, yeah, the fact that he's been at UM is huge. Absolutely. I mean, this is a program that also in Miami that just hired away a guy that many people thought was going to end up in Gainesville in Travaris Robinson. They get him on staff. You need someone who can go in there and compete with a guy like that. And Wesley McGriff is, it seems like, Florida's answer to that. And they may be adding another one here in a matter of days, weeks. Who knows, Zach? Yeah, and one of the names that had been reported out there as a candidate for potentially the safety uh, position and and maybe another role in the defense, but was Chris Ash, the former defensive coordinator at Texas, who had also worked with Urban Meyer, although he doesn't really have any ties with Mullen. But with the news, as I think we've been seeing throughout the day on Thursday, that Meyer appears to be going to Jacksonville, it looks like 
there's a chance that he could potentially uh, join him uh, again on that staff after they work together at Ohio State. So that's just kind of maybe a, a wait-and-see mode that everybody is in, including Dan Mullen. We don't know when that other hire could come uh, as they have two secondary coaches that they, they've lost. So uh, I, I do think that that's what we'll see. That's what Dan Mullen has always had is two coaches there. But to have a guy like Wesley McGriff now on staff – now as a guy that defensive backs can talk to on the recruiting trail and just, you know, the guys that have gotten to campus, which we'll talk about later in the show, you know, the, some of them are going to know who their coach is going to be and they can start building that relationship. But it's not just, uh, you know, the secondary that they have to worry about, Graham. It's the defensive line. You know, you're losing what we expect to be three senior defensive tackles, although Marlon Dunlap and TJ Slayton have yet to announce their plans. Uh, but I think the expectation is that uh, they're going to go along with Kyrie Campbell, who we know was a huge piece of this defense. And going into the offseason, there was definitely, I think, some concern there for depth purposes and whether Florida was going to be able to add some guys via the transfer portal. And since we lasted a podcast, Graham, they've added two guys uh, in, in as many weeks. And, and those, are, those guys are going to be able to come in right away as grad transfers and play at that defensive tackle spot. Yeah, you look at Antonio Shelton coming out of Penn State, a guy who really doesn't have too many reps under his belt, and that's really what I think Florida wants to target. A guy looking for an opportunity who can come in and maybe not start next season, but fill a prominent role. And have experience at the college level, too. Absolutely, and that is a huge thing for Florida, especially when you look at 2020, and some people may consider this a hot take, but I really think that development was stifled in this last year from a defensive perspective, and, and we'll get some takes later on that as well. But when you look at guys who have been in a Division One Power 5 program for multiple years before now, any chance you have to add that to your roster, you want to take that. And this is not the first time that Florida has used the transfer portal to even go out there and get an interior defense alignment. We've mentioned, you know, Adam Schuler multiple times, his role for Florida, and even in, you know John Grenard the year later, although not really an interior guy as well. But they've still used making that. an impact on that front seven. Absolutely, and they've used that to bolster their unit when they've needed to, and we shouldn't be surprised that they've now added two names here in the yeah, fold. And also got Brenton Cox Jr. as well. Oh yeah, um, how can you forget a, him? As another piece. So the fact that they once again uh, appear to uh, you know, take advantage of the transfer portal and make up for some of their shortcomings on the roster that they've once again done it. Now we'll see what type of impact these guys can make and and if they can, you know, do some of the things that some of these other players have done in, in years past, but to see them kind of address it right away and, and and have, you know, at least Shelton be able to come in in the spring, that's going to really help things from a depth standpoint. I think more importantly too, he's going to be leading a group of six underclassmen defensive tackles. So to go from three seniors that were leading those guys to now him stepping in and being that veteran presence and a guy that's that's been at the collegiate level for several years, that's going to help as well. And and at the same time, they're going to help him get acclimated to Gainesville and, and this defense and uh, what it's like to play for the Gators. So w w they also uh, this week added a, a defensive tackle from Auburn and Daquan Newkirk. And we'll learn some more about him here in a second from Keith Niebuhr. But a player that has played on Auburn's defensive line behind some really talented players during his career and probably some of the reason why he hasn't got as much PT, but he did become a starter in 2020 and is a guy that should be able to come in having been in the SEC, having been in a program like Auburn that's known for their defensive tackles to come in and help for it at that spot. I think this is an extremely solid addition for Florida because 
anytime you look at a defensive lineman, I think that the first two years are really going to be spent on development, yes. learning the system. You really can't expect a guy to start too early as an underclassman at that position. They're just not physically ready, and they don't know the collegiate level, the collegiate game too much right now. So I put aside those first years where he struggled with injury. The last season, playing all 10 games and starting consistently on the interior of the defensive line is huge, getting a guy who can do that. And then kind of has had some rest here, didn't play against Northwestern in the bowl game, had some sacks. This is a really strong pickup for Florida. And the biggest thing that you mentioned, I think, is the leadership that's going to be required in spring. You have a lot of underclassmen that are going to need to learn from a guy with starting experience. Jalen Lee, Lamar Goods, those guys are going to be expected to learn. And a lot of the leadership just walked out the door. Shelton and now Newkirk are going to be expected to kind of pick up some of the slack there as well. Yeah, and a guy that learned from Derek Brown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what more could he ask for? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go to Keith Niebuhr now from 24-7 Sports to get his thoughts on Wesley McGriff, a guy that he knows really well from the recruiting trail, and also get his thoughts on Newkirk and, and Florida football uh, because ne- uh, Keith covered yeah. the Gators. He's got a, a lot of experience here at UF, so we'll get his thoughts on the job that Dan Mullen has done so far with the Florida program. Now joined by Keith Nieper from 24-7 Sports to talk some things all on Auburn as the Gators have recently added an assistant coach from the Tiger staff and picked up a grad transfer from Auburn. Uh, Keith, welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast. How's it going, my friend? Yeah, good. What's going on, man? I'm doing well, man. Just uh, obviously wanted to give some Gator fans uh, some perspective on the new coach that they just added. I know a guy that you know really well from his time at Auburn and just in the SEC in general. Um, give, give Gator fans a little bit of perspective on uh, Wesley McGriff and kind of what Florida's adding with him. Yeah, well, the first thing you need to know about him is that he doesn't go by Coach Wesley or Coach McGriff. People just call him Crime. Uh, crime Dog is his nickname, like M- M- McGruff the Crime Dog. Uh, McGriff. And, and that's really – that says a lot about him because it speaks to his personality and the kind of laid-back guy that he is and why kids like him. He's just a uh, not a super formal guy. You don't have to – uh, you know, you, you can address him as Coach Crime. He likes that. He wants that. Uh, I actually go way back with him. I've known him since about 2010, 2011. He coached at Vanderbilt. He went to Ole Miss. Uh, he's been at Auburn twice. He worked for the uh, New Orleans Saints. Uh, he's been a defensive coordinator in the SEC. So he's, you know, he's well-traveled. And also he worked at the University of Miami uh, years ago. So he understands the dynamics in the state of Florida as well. So, you know, a guy that will probably bring a lot to the table just in terms of knowledge in terms of uh, the fact that he's got that NFL background, he's been a coordinator in the SEC, and then also obviously knows the lay of the land in terms of recruiting in the SEC, and particularly in the state of Florida. And, and obviously, you know, you, you're familiar with Florida's recruiting. How big do you think that that is for them and Coach Mullen specifically to add a guy that's kind of shown his pedigree on the recruiting trail? You know, he. Uh, I think it is significant. I don't know whether he's going to be better or worse than the guy that preceded him, but he, look, I, I, you know, time will tell, obviously, but he's got the chops. I mean, he's he's been in big recruiting battles before. He was primary recruiter at Ole Miss when they landed Robert Candici, who was at that point the number one recruit in the country in that class defensive lineman that uh, later made the NFL as a first-round pick. But for Auburn, he has recruited South Florida. And, uh, you know, that's an area that Auburn has always uh, done well in, quite frankly. You look at the Auburn teams that beat Florida back in the 90s, those, those 93 and 94 teams – uh, some of Auburn's best players were kids from Fort Lauderdale. So they, uh, and, I, and I mentioned that because they as a program know the importance of, of recruiting in South Florida. And they had to put a couple guys down there that really knew the lay of the land. And, and Wesley McGriff was one of them. Um, 
And so I think that's significant. Now he's going to have the Florida brand behind him. And I'm not saying the Florida brand's bigger than the Auburn brand or vice versa, but in the state of Florida, one could make the reasonable assumption that the Florida brand is <laughs> is the brand, is the singular largest brand in that state. And so that, you know, obviously he'll be walking into schools now with that brand behind him. And when you put that together with his understanding and his connection uh, in those areas down in South Florida, particularly Dade, Broward, uh, West Palm Beach, but not limited to those. He's obviously uh, at Auburn also gone up into the Space Coast and gotten some guys, including Ladarius Tennyson last year. But that whole coast from kind of Cocoa Beach down, he knows the lay of the land, uh, knows what kind of kids live in different areas. And now, again, he's going to have that prominent logo on his on his chest when he walks into the schools at the flagship university for that state. So I think I think that makes you, if you're a Florida fan, you have to think, okay, you put all this together – NFL experience, coordinator experience. He's coached in the SEC a lot of years. He understands what it takes to recruit in South Florida. And you, and, and you kind of put in a bowl when you mix it up and, and you feel like, okay, th- this could really potentially work out. And we'll see, but it has all the makings to do just that. Obviously, those ties are important, especially to a program like Florida, getting into South Florida, but recruiting just really the first step in the equation. You've been around him for a long time. What do you make of McGriff's ability to develop and coach at an SEC program? Yeah, now, yeah, obviously, I uh, mainly my job is covering recruiting at Auburn and then throughout the Southeastern Conference. However, uh, you know, he has had some success, you know, recruiting in the secondary. You know, you don't hit on every guy, by the way. He hasn't hit on every single recruit uh, or even close to it because no coach does. Uh, but he's had some big hits. But but maybe the one that really is the eye opener is that uh, he spent some time with Noah Igbenogany, who was a converted receiver. He spent three years at Auburn. A first-year receiver next to a cornerback, and uh, actually, was that is that right? I think yeah, I think he played two years at cornerback. But McGriff had him for his final season at Auburn, uh, and he ended up being a first-round pick. Again, this was a guy that was a four-star receiver and uh, converted to cornerback, and then became a first-round pick in the Miami Dolphins. And I think that I think that itself. Uh, you know, when you look at that, is pretty significant because, you know, you're not going to always get the five-star kids. I mean, obviously, if you're a Gator fan, that's what you're hoping for, but you're not always going to get those guys. So you need to know how well a guy can develop. Uh, he also spent time with Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis, who were both starters in the secondary for the Tampa Bay Bucks. So I think you could say he's had a pretty good track record. You know, Auburn's best defensive back right now is probably a guy named Roger McCreary. Not a big-name recruit. Gator fans may not even know who he is. Uh, out of the Mobile area, just a, a three-star guy, kind of a a guy that was a diamond in the rough. And and Wesley McGriff has spent two seasons with working with him, the last two, and he is clearly the best DB at Auburn uh, among the corners. Excuse me, I should say, and probably will end up being a draft pick in 2022. So, you know, obviously, you got to give Wesley McGriff a lot of credit for that. So, uh, I think he's, you know. I think he's uh, been known to be a pretty solid developer. I mean, yeah, look, you can only develop a guy as, as much as, as their body and brain is going to let you, though. It's not all on the coach. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely, Keith. Well, and, and not only did the Gators add a coach from Auburn staff, they also had a player from Auburn's roster, and they needed some help on the defensive line with three senior defensive tackles on their way out. They got a grad transfer from Penn State last week. And now they add a guy from Auburn's roster. Um, let us a little know about uh, know a little bit about the quant. Yeah, I mean, look, okay. The one thing Auburn's had since since I've covered them in 2013 are. are Deep defensive lines, okay? It's a lot of first-round picks. D4, Derek Brown, second-round pick, Marlon Davidson. SEC multiple players of the week, Nick Coe. So that's kind of been their thing, right? Uh, Daquan Newkirk, believe it or not, I mean, this guy's been around so long. 
he was actually recruited to Auburn at first by by Will Muschamp when Muschamp was at Auburn. That's how long ago. Uh, but he he uh, he had to go the junior college route. Then he suffered a couple injuries. I think he actually has torn his Achilles twice, two different Achilles. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. I believe that's the backstory there. Uh, but a fantastic kid that really kind of fought through those injuries, stayed patient, got to Auburn, uh, and then backed up uh, Derek Brown last year, first-round pick, top-ten pick, and then this year became a starter. But, you know, as always, unfortunately for him, had to just battle these nagging injuries. First, it was the serious injuries with the Achilles, and then it's been some nagging things. But I think one could argue that he was the maybe the best defensive lineman at Auburn this year, or one of the be- one of the two best, I would say. A kid named Colby Wooden being the other. But again, if he can stay healthy, you know, Florida's defensive line, I mean, just watching their games, I mean, obviously the defense hasn't been so spectacular of late. Uh, and I think he can add 20 to 30 snaps a game at the at the quick tackle, the three-technique tackle position. You know, 6'3", three, about 310, 315 pounds, but it's all muscle. He's in fantastic shape. Uh, he's a high IQ kid. Uh, and I, I just feel like he's that, that. I feel like it's a big pickup for Florida uh, because, you know, is he going to be a first round pick? Is he that type of guy? No, but he's a great complimentary player that probably will end up getting drafted, I would think. But he can do a lot of things. He can get in the backfield, he can cause some havoc. Again, the whole key for him, everything. He's just got to stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, he's gonna he's gonna provide Florida with so many valuable plays, so many valuable snaps. I think it's a a really good asset. You put him next to your tackle that that's the space eater and you let him go to work. And, uh, you know, I, I know they need him, And uh, I, th- I think it's a great pickup for Florida, quite frankly. Keith, we know you have a multitude of talents as well, not just your experience covering Auburn and recruiting, but spent some time here on the Florida beat as well. What do you make just of what Dan Mullen has done now through three years at Florida? And what is the key for him and his coaching staff in taking the next step in 2021? Yeah, well, yeah, I got to watch what I say because Auburn fans <laughs> who pay my bills now, they don't, like, they, don't like, they don't like Dan Mullen at all, okay? I mean, at all. And that goes back to the all the Cam Newton stuff and all that. But, look, I, I mean, he's a fine coach. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, look, they, they're relevant again. I think first and foremost, they're relevant at the national level. His QB development is up there among the, the best. There's no question about that. Uh, the, the question marks are going to be, and, and you know, I read all y'all's writings and, and obviously the guys at 24-7 Sports that cover Florida. The question is, what are they going to do on the defensive side of the ball? Now, obviously, you're losing an unbelievable uh, once in every 10 years, if you're lucky, quarterback and Kyle Trask. But uh, his QB, QB development speaks for itself. But what are they going to do on the defensive side of the ball? How are they going to fix that? Because that was always Florida's strength. I mean, even in the Spurrier years, I mean, obviously in the 70s, they had very good defenses. And, uh, 75 was an unbelievable defense, maybe the best defense, uh, quite frankly, statistically ever at Florida was the 75 team. But 80s, great defenses, 90s, great defenses with Spurrier for most of the years. Uh, obviously, when uh, Bob Pruitt was there, they weren't as good as they were when Bob Stoops was there. But how are they going to fix that? And, you know, it starts up front. Uh, so that's the question. That's what everybody's wanting to know. I mean, for Florida to take the next step, a couple of things we think as casual observers on the outside, you guys know way more than I do. But how are they going to fix the defense? Are they ever going to be able to recruit at the level of the Georgias and Alabamas and Clemsons of the world? Okay, that's significant. And, and then also, you know, I've had a lot of my Florida friends talk to me after the bowl game and, and just wonder, you know, what, what's, what's kind of going on in Dan's head right now? What's, you know, does he want to stay at Florida? Does he want to go to the NFL? What was up with those weird comments 
after the bowl game. Um, you know, time will make people forget that. But the bigger question is, can they recruit at the level of the Georgias and Alabamas and, and how are they going to fix the defense? I mean, that, that's really it. But I think the program's in a – it looks like it's in a solid place. You know, you're not always going to have a Kyle Trask back there, but, you know, he's, he's shown the ability to develop guys. I guess he still hasn't signed a five-star quarterback type yet, though, correct? I mean, I don't think that's happened yet. So maybe that would be something that, that, that might be coming someday. Uh, but I mean, uh, it's pick up recruiting, and, and they, you know, I, I still feel like even though they they whipped Georgia pretty solidly this past season, it, that's a one year thing as a program to catch Georgia to surpass Georgia as a program, not just as a one season team. I think you guys probably agree with me. They gotta they gotta really step up the recruiting. Um, but no, I, I mean, it, I'm going on and on here. I'm just trying to figure this out. Or yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about this in the overall picture. I mean, I, I think the program's in a good spot. The question now is, does it plateau or does it go to the next spot? And how are they going to get to that next spot? I mean, for, for Spurrier to get to the next stop, he had to make a big change on the defensive side, right? I mean, he had to. He didn't have any choice. Uh, and that got them to the next spot. So I, I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. We don't know. Time will tell. But uh, they're still the flagship school. Like I said, they're still the best of the recruiting schools in state. Now, you'd like to see them – not as many of the superstars in that state go away to Alabama and Georgia. I mean, they, they got to stop that. Jalen Carter is a perfect example of that from last year, a kid at Apopka that, you know, that's a school. And obviously Warren Sapp went to that high school, but uh, that's a school that in its heyday, Florida shouldn't lose anybody to, right? That's, that should be a Gator school. Lakeland losing them, losing guys from Lakeland to Clemson. And obviously Bowman's going to end up back at Florida, but that shouldn't happen. Um, but uh you know, I feel like they're getting there. Maybe another alpha dog recruiter or two on the staff could could get them to the next level. I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious what you guys think. Well, they need more crime dogs. You know what I mean? And they, they definitely need more alpha dogs on the trail. And, and I think that you know, for you to be so far removed from Florida, Keith, I think you dissected it perfectly. Just kind of what the issues yeah. are, and I think those are the question marks that everybody have going into 21. Is how are they going to make it work with the new pieces that they add on the back end? Does that you know defensive staff make improvements? And then specifically along the defensive line, can they take that next step? Which is why they're trying to add all these grad transfers. Um, well, you know, like you know, you're watching Florida, and, and look, you guys know there's so many unbelievable athletes in that state. You don't even have to leave the state of Florida to get defensive recruits, right? Yeah. And, and so, how could the defense be so average last year? Now, granted, look. Scoring's up across the country. I, I get that, man. I mean, even Alabama, I mean, unbelievable, otherworldly team gave up a, a ton of yards and a ton of points in some games, right? Uh, Florida, the Florida game, for example. Yeah. But but overall, how is Florida not better on defense? That They got to figure that out. That That's really well, – especially, especially when you look at the development on the offensive side of the ball and how much better those players have gotten and, and some of the pieces that they've landed – and recruiting, it, it doesn't measure up defensively. It hasn't so far. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they, they, they have developed guys on, on the offensive side. By the way, I love that Josh Braun kid. I, I think he's going to be a star. I don't know how y'all feel about him. He's a monster out there. But, yeah, yeah I mean. And a, local it, guy, and a local guy, too, that was going to go to Georgia. And like you said, you, you can't lose those kids from your own backyard. Yeah, he was at Swanee, right? Yeah, he was going to go. Yeah, yeah, he was at Swanee. Yeah, like historically, Swanee was either they went to Florida, Florida State, Matt Fryer, the great receiver, or Auburn. Frankie Stankunis was their great quarterback, but they weren't going to Georgia. Yeah. You know, so yeah, they they got to they got to kind of put the clamps down a little bit there. And and but again, Florida's kind of in the public eye again. 
And that's a good thing. I know they lost four games, but they were, they were in the public eye and uh, people were talking about them and, and the recruiting seems to be getting a little bit better each year. So now, now it's time to take that next step. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Keith, uh, it was great to catch up with you, man. And, and I'm always indebted to you because you, you helped me take that next step. You know? whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want anybody blaming me for you. Okay. <laughs> No, 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 he uh, got to take that lane. Not only did Keith put me on the Gainesville Sun when I was in college, but he let this poor college student park at his house and save me from the headache of UF parking. So I'm forever indebted to Keith. Well, hey, look, I- I'm proud of you guys because, you know, you're replacing some good guys, obviously. And, uh, but I think that was a natural decision. Uh, you know, if, if you could bring Zach in with Robbie and Pat leaving, it, it, it doesn't hurt as much. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that, Keith. <laughs> I, I'm going to miss making fun of those two clowns, those two old geezers, man. I, uh, yeah. no. I, hey, you know, <laughs> and let me point out, I'm indebted to those guys. And, and, you know, Pat gave me a job as an agate clerk when I was in college. People don't even know what that means, but the, the page that had the, the gambling and the yep. scores and all that stuff in the newspaper, I would have to cut that up. And, um, which wasn't so bad because there was a really good looking girl that worked in the back at the time. I don't even know if she's still around alive, whatever, but, uh, but then, then the second thing, you know, Robbie was a mentor to me when I was in college. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but well, I, I lost my father when I was in college. And Robbie, uh, who had just turned right around 40, really was a mentor and a father figure to me in many ways. Mm. And so it was, uh, you know, I, I was very sad to see those guys go, but but happy with their replacements. No question about that. So Definitely. Well, that was great stuff, Keith. I really appreciate the perspective. I'm sure oh. cancel. I'd be glad to hear this, and it was great to catch up with you again, bud. Yeah, anytime. Y'all take care, okay? Thank you. Right, bud. Appreciate take care, man. I appreciate Keith Niebuhr for his time there. Really great stuff. Wow, yeah. Uh, not only Auburn, but Florida. I mean, talks like a guy that hasn't spent years away from this program, but still keeping tabs, I think, on the Gators. And, uh, you know, really good to get his perspective and also what the Gators need to do to take that next step. And guys that should be able to help that, Graham, are some of the mid-year enrollees that they've welcomed to campus. A total of 14, a dozen early enrollees, guys that are coming out of high school, and then a pair of transfers uh, that they that they welcomed in. And uh, you look at the group, definitely at some positions of need, definitely some talented players and, and guys that are going to really benefit from being here for the spring football. Yeah, that's the most important part that you mentioned, not just arriving on campus, but benefiting from arriving on campus. That's something that did not happen last year with spring sports being shut down in the second week of March. You really didn't have a chance for those early enrollees to benefit from their decision. Yes, they got acclimated. They got into meeting rooms, but they didn't get out there on the field. They didn't get to partake in practices. They didn't get to be part of that great spring game, the orange and blue debut game. Hopefully that's going to happen this year, Zach. You hope that with as much foresight as we've had in the last 11 months now to make preparations for spring sports, you hope that they're going to have a normalcy, some type of normalcy, when they get out there on the practice field in the first or second week of March. But with that being said, we still don't have really full resolutions with some other things in spring, the returning of official visits, when schools can begin having junior days and hosting underclassmen on campus. We don't know when those things will return. So hopefully we get some normalcy with spring and I'll be a little more, bit more optimistic that all the visits and everything else that normally takes place and is so valuable to a team – by signing day, by fall sports, hopefully we get those periods back here and that Florida can start benefiting from them once again. 
Yeah, Graham, and when you look at this list of guys that they brought in for the spring semester, a pair of quarterbacks that they're adding to the roster in Carlos Del Rio Wilson and Jalen Kitna, who's the son of former NFL quarterback John Kitna. They added a pair of pass catchers and wide receiver Dejon Reynolds and tight end Nick Elksness. And then on the defensive line, a pair of uh, tackles in Chris Thomas Jr. and Desmond Watson, as well as defensive end Justice Boone. They added uh, – Chief Borders, who is you know listed as a linebacker, but really more of an athlete for Florida uh, on the defense. He could play uh, at defensive end or at one of the linebacker spots. And then in the secondary, the Gators added four pieces, a pair of corners, and Jason Marshall and Jordan Young, and then two safeties, Corey Collier Jr. and Donovan McMillan. And I think those guys being added, especially on the back end, when you consider what Florida's losing, and Marco Wilson and Chester Kimbrough, and then all their senior safeties, those are some important additions. Obviously, losing Kyle Pitts and some of the receivers, you wanted to get some numbers in there to replace. But I think the biggest thing is you know being able to add uh, Chris Thomas Jr. and Desmond Watson along with Shelton to kind of get your numbers up at that defensive tackle spot. Obviously, I think that getting two quarterbacks in the room is extremely important. Yeah, in, that's huge for Jalen Kidna. Well. But I'm right there with you that thinking that the defensive additions are the most vital ones for Florida right here in this period. Starting with the defensive line, you look at Desmond Watson, I think a guy that already his size stands out to you. Yep. Once he gets into a collegiate weight room, especially one with a guy like Nick Savage, he is absolutely going to benefit. And I'm I'm going to contradict myself a little bit right here. I think it's a guy that could see some reps early, just like what Gervin Dexter did this past year and what we've seen out of guys like Chris Bogle in years past. I think he could be one of the guys who's next in line, and I'm certainly impressed with Thomas as well. But even bigger than them is getting those four defensive backs on campus, primarily because of what I just said earlier. Kyer Elam, Florida's leader in the secondary, Zach, has never had a spring practice. He's never had a spring camp. It is such a beneficial thing, especially for a young corner, to get in there and start competing early for reps. Especially when they're there. Absolutely. And so for Florida to get get those guys in here, to have them get some reps, get acclimated, used to the system, and hit the weight room, it's going to really boost the chances of those guys being able to see the field in that first week of September and compete like we have been used to seeing out of young defensive backs, going back to C.J. Henderson, even Marco Wilson starting those first weeks. Hargraves. Yeah, the list goes on. Jason Marshall has a chance of being one of the next great Florida cornerbacks and getting on campus early here in January is absolutely going to benefit his chances of doing so. Yeah, and when you look at uh, these mid-year enrollees, the one guy that I haven't mentioned Yet it's Demarcus Bowman, and that's probably one of the names that Florida fans are most excited about. Now he's coming in as a transfer, uh, so he's not straight out of high school, but a redshirt freshman, a guy that only played two games with Clemson before um, leaving the program because of the death of his, of his grandfather. He still finished up his fall classes, but uh, going to be able to come in and, and should play in 2021. I'm not sure if he's going to have to submit a waiver or if the one-time transfer rule will go into effect that will allow him to take the field. But nonetheless, a guy that's going to be able to come into, despite a really crowded running back room, because of his skill set and the fact that there's not really a home run threat there, that's where he can kind of make his mark and, and get some carries right away, I think, next season and, and, and really try to make that running game take the next step because that was d- definitely lacking this year. Although, you know, if you talk to Tamlin and Brian Johnson, because of how potent their passing game was, it they didn't really feel like it held them back offensively. But because of 
the pieces that they're going to have next year and, and the change from Trask to Emory Jones, you, you're going to want to have more rushing production, and, and Bowman should be able to uh, to help them out. And he was the first guy that I listed as you know my five mid-year enrollees to watch. If you guys got were able to check that out at Gatorsports.com, certainly one guy that's going to be on that list is Antonio Shelton because of him coming in as a grad transfer and at a position of need at defensive tackle. So him and Bowman you know are going to be you know two of the five to watch. You mentioned the guys in the secondary. Uh, I think Jason Marshall certainly is going to have a chance to play, potentially start uh, as a freshman. And I think Corey Collier Jr., although he's a guy that still needs to add some weight and just kind of develop at that safety position, Ford only brings back three guys. That's it. Trey Dean, Rashad Torrance, and Mordecai McDaniel. Those are their only returning safeties. So he's going to have an opportunity to – maybe be in the rotation simply out of necessity, but he's going to have to show it in the spring. So that's why he's a guy to watch, and maybe he can put on some weight here in the next couple months with Nick Savage to get himself ready to play. But I think the one sleeper that I put on the list, Graham, and, and a guy has a tongue twister of a name, is Nick Elksness. And, and he's a guy that I think is probably one of the, the most underrated and, and, and most overlooked players in Florida's class. But when you look at what he brings to the tight end position and what the Gators lose, I'm really excited to see about his potential. Because you know you look at Kimori Gamble and Keon Zipper, who are no doubt next in line, but they are different type of tight ends than what Pitts is as is Jonathan Odom, who redshirted this year as a freshman. He's more of kind of a blocking tight end. And Elksness is basically a, just a bigger wide receiver out there playing that spot. And he's going to be able to fill that Pitts role and get some opportunities there. And as a six foot six, 240-pound freshman, I'm excited to see about what he can do. Yeah, he made the wise decision a few years ago to transition from quarterback to tight end. And I think that you can say right now that that was a good decision. Yeah. Going back to the safeties, you got to mention Trey Dean deciding to return Next year, huge decision for Florida and really kind of takes some pressure off of those young guys. Guys like Rashad Torrance as well, who we saw as freshmen perform, really takes the pressure off them needing to be leaders in spring practice rather than guys who are just going to be consistent role players for Florida. And one more thing i got to say, as you just heard Keith mention, great interview as well with him. Bowman is one of those guys that you should not let get out of your state. And it's one that Florida really had regrets about letting go in the past. That was one that hurt. Absolutely, that's one that hurt. And before that, it was Trey Sanders getting out of the state of Florida and going to Alabama. So getting with his Bowman, brother on the team. Yeah, with Umstead on the team. So <laughs> that one certainly hurt Florida. But getting Bowman back here, I think that those guys with fellow five-star Lorenzo Lingard and Naquan Wright back in the fold as well after a pretty impressive campaign from him in 2020. With their top two rushers uh, in Malik Davis and Damian Pierce. I mean, they, they got a lot of options. It's a lot of options. I'm, cer- I'm certain that those guys are hoping that Florida chooses to run the ball more next season. And we know that. I mean, that's that's where this this offense is headed because of the quarterback. With the loss of Kyle Trask yeah. as well. I mean, you, you look at Emory Jones, and then we expect to see a, a good dose of Anthony Richardson. That dual threat you know, spread option system that we were all introduced to Mullen with is what I think we're going to see more of. And obviously what they didn't run as much of with Kyle Trask, although they still ran Kyle Trask. And uh, as we wrap this up here, it was interesting, Graham, going back, I did, you know, the kind of recapping the 2020 season, wanted to look at the top 10 offensive plays, top 10 defensive plays as well. Had to give those guys some shine. You found some. I found them. It took some research. 
But doing the research on the offensive side and looking back on the game highlights, I could not believe how much they ran Kyle Trask. You really don't realize it until you go back and watch all the games like that. As much of a pro-style passer as he was, like Dan still ran him. And uh, I think you're going to get a lot more of that with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, and that's going to create more carries for all those backs that we just mentioned. Um, the tight ends are still going to be involved a lot. It's going to be fun to see how this offense evolves as they change their personnel. Absolutely. I got to say, it took me a long time, and I can't really say that I ever stopped wincing at watching Kyle Trask run the ball. but I loved it. It was kind of my Lamar Traskin. <laughs> yeah, you loved using that. I, I got to say, that got a lot of play around uh, my household. But, I, you know, I love using that as kind of a counter-argument, devil's advocate, whatever you want to say, when people say, oh, well, Dan Mullen doesn't like running the football. He certainly loves running his quarterback that a lot of people <laughs> have said is not nimble, can't run the ball. I personally have been surprised at the sheer amount of quarterback-designed runs Going back to that, I hate to say it, the Cash Daniel incident in the previous year in 2019, I thought that you would have a little bit of hesitance or bring in Emory Jones more in those designed run situations. you got to keep him honest, Graham. But you have to keep them honest. And Dan Mullen has always said that part of playing the quarterback position in his system is being a willing runner. And I hate using that term. It's one of those ones that's thrown around like Gator Standard. It's a cliche around here at this point. But when you see... Kyle Trask jumping over the line on fourth and two, fourth and one. How else are you going to define it than saying that that guy is a willing runner rather than a natural born or his best quarterback ability is what he can do with his legs? Because it's just not true, but he can still do some damage down there. Yeah, hey, man, he he picked up some key first downs rewatching those game highlights. It was uh... How many quarterbacks had more rushing touchdowns than Kyle Trask? I would be... In the SEC, I'd be interested to know that. Yeah, he was a he was definitely a willing runner. There's no doubt about it. And mentioning the the early enrollees that came in, both of those guys at the quarterback spot will be as well. Carlos Del Rio Wilson is a dual threat guy, and Jalen Kitna more of a pro style passer. But you watch his high school film. I mean, oh yeah, he, he takes off, and um, he he knows that that's going to be expected of him. So again, it'll be fun to see how that plays out. How those two guys kind of shake themselves out for that maybe third string role. Uh, but they got their depth back up there. They got their depth up at a lot of other spots. And now we just start looking forward to spring ball and seeing who else they add to the staff, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. Still one more assistant staff position here to hire. And as Keith said, keep going back to the interview, Florida needs more alpha dogs on the, on the recruiting trail. And yeah. I expect that whoever Florida goes out there and brings to Gainesville, they have a reputation, they've developed a rapport with fellow SEC coaches, and they already have previously built relationships with some of these 2022-2023 prospects. But I'm going to tell you right now, there ain't no way that they're going to have a better nickname than Crime Dog. Absolutely not. <laughs> and if they do, we got to start printing the shirts yeah, and the posters. I yeah, so I, I guess don't want to write them off yet. But uh, we're going to write off this show. It was great to uh, catch up on all the news happening with Gator Nation. We'll be back with you guys next week. Until next time, for Graham Hall, I'm Zach Abelverde.